two weeks ago, I shared, and I was talking about being led by the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to continue on with that same uh, message, but we're going to go on to another aspect of it. So if you want to see uh, or hear what was there, um, you can go. I think the easiest way is to go to the church YouTube channel and then go to the playlists. I'm going to give you a little secret. You won't find Wednesday night in the chronological list. That's the Sunday morning messages. But if you go to the playlist, there's a playlist that's just all of the Wednesday night messages. And so that's an easy place to find it. Um, And you can go there. Two weeks ago, we talked about being led by the Holy Spirit. This week, um, I want to continue that conversation. So the Bible says in, in Psalms 23, verse 3, it says, He restores my soul and He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His sake. Once we acknowledge that God leads us and that He has provided a way to lead us, then the next question I think that we naturally would ask is, well, when does He want to lead me? What decisions does God want to be consulted in? What parts of my life does God ask to have influence? And I'm going to compare two extremes for a minute. There is an extreme referred to as deism. Deism, that's where someone believes that God is, that God exists. But basically, God made the world. He set a bunch of principles into action. And maybe like a kid would grab a top and he just spins it. And then he sits back and watches to see what happens. This is deism. And you'd be surprised how many people believe in God, but they live their life as if that's the way God did it. Well, God made me. I mean, he's out there somewhere, but I'm pretty sure he really doesn't care what's going on in my life. You know, he set some principles into action. I can, I can you know, learn from his word how to live, but I don't feel like anything I do affects anything he does. It's just he kind of got things going and he stepped back. And that isn't the picture that the Bible gives us, but that is still a mindset that many people have adopted, whether that's because they were taught that way or they came to that conclusion on their own when they expected some clear evidence that God was involved in their life and they didn't see it at that moment. They said, well, then he must not be there. And they adapt, adopt that method or that thought process. The other extreme uh, is often referred to as Calvinism. Now, Calvin, he had a lot of great things to say, but he's famous for his most extreme measure. Calvinism refers to his extreme belief that absolutely everything was already pre-planned by God in the beginning. So, who's going to go to heaven? Who's going to go to hell? Already decided, you can't change your mind. You know, you don't, what you do, it's already pre-decided. And others say, you know what? God is so involved in my life, I'm technically not even in control of it at all. I mean, he's just doing it. If I bought that house, that's what he wanted me to do in the beginning of time. If, if I get saved, well, that's what he wanted me to do at the beginning of time. My neighbor who didn't get saved, well, unfortunately, that's what God wanted him to do since the beginning of time. Famously, William Carey, uh, who is 
considered the father of modern missions. He went to China, and he went to uh, his church that shared that philosophy, and he was trying to convince them to send him off to reach the masses of people who, were, who didn't know about Christ, and they responded, well, if God wants to save them, he'll do it himself. There's two extremes there. One of them is, well, nothing I do really matters, affects God, God's not paying attention. The other is God already pre-planned it. But there is a balance in Scripture. We have to understand there are things that happen that God did not want to happen. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is now is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, this scripture is perfectly crystal clear. It is God's desire. It is God's preference that no one ever perish and that every person come to repentance. How many of you realize that isn't the case? There will be people who reject God. There are other verses that talk about those who, the goats and the sheep, and those who don't accept, and whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. But that wasn't because God wanted them. It was because they chose. There is a balance there. Acts chapter 15, uh, verse 28. Before I get there, I, I want to, so if we see that God is, is leading us, and we know that we have a part to play, then do we ask God about everything? I mean, like, should I have worn the red shirt today? Did I, did I need to consult God about every one of my decisions? Look what it says in Acts 15, 28. It says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. And then they go on to not eating food sacrifice titles and a few other things. But notice the, the verbiage there. It says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. God actually wants to work with us. Your input affects the outcome, and that's what God wants. God wants your fingerprint on it. Now, I have multiple kids. If my kids draw a picture for me. In fact, I have a son who's doing that right now. He's drawing a picture for me. He told me about it. He's like, for Father's Day, and then he's been busy, and it hasn't gotten around to it, and it's been partially there, and, and, and he's working on it. Now, if he draws me a picture, and then my other kids draw me a picture, I don't want every single one of them to just trace one picture, my picture. I draw a picture, now go, everybody trace this and then just give it back to me. No. What I want is to see their creativity, their 
personality, their choice of which picture to, to, to color, to paint, to, to do that. I want to see that. God is similar in that he wants our input. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those who hearts, whose heart is completely his. It doesn't say so that he may control them. He wants to support us. What we have in our heart. He looks at it and says, yep, I approve. That's good. Let's go that direction. It's an interesting, for some of us, it's like, okay, yeah, so I already knew this. Others of us, this is new. Because we may have grown up thinking God didn't care at all. Or we may have grown up thinking there is only one way and it's God's special way and anything else. In fact, you, you know, there's no place I think it's more obvious than when it comes to finding a spouse. And we say, the one. The one. The one. Have you found the one? Why do we say that? Well, it, without realizing it, it's that idea that there is just one person. And if I do not find that one person, then I am doomed. Why? Because there's only one person that God planned from the beginning of time for me to be with. And if I do not find that one person, do you realize if that one person messed up and found someone else, they'd just mess it up for everybody all the way down the, the line? I mean, if one person messed up the one person, well, then the person who's supposed to marry them can't marry them, so they marry someone else who then messes up them and the other, and you just totally have this pyramid thing going, and you just mess up marriage. Maybe that's why there's so much divorce. No. No, God does instruct us on a type of person. God will give you advice. You can seek leading about the person you're considering. You can say, hey God, what about this? What about them? And you know what God will say? Not a good idea. But that's not because there's only one. It's just because that one was a bad choice. Or God might say, you know what? Yes, they love me. Yes, you know, they're fl you're flawed. Guess what? There is no perfect marriage. And if there was, it'd be ruined as soon as you got there. I would ruin the perfect marriage when I arrived. None of us are perfect. God gives us advice about how to choose. God is looking to co-labor with us. John 14, 26 says, But the Helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. It's interesting to me that he will teach us all things, but it doesn't call him the leader or the master. It calls him the helper. Do we realize how that signifies that he is working alongside of us? with us and he will bring to remembrance that the things that I said to you 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 through 18 
says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Now, maybe you've heard this. Maybe you've said this. But were you ever around anybody who said, don't do that, whether that was swear, lie, dress provocatively, you're in church. Don't do that. You're in church. Like, it'd be okay somewhere else, but not, not here. Don't say that here. Goodness, no. Many times, we, we kind of have this subconscious idea that, that there is a part of me that is spiritual, and that's the part that goes to church. And then there's the rest of the week. You know, I have my church vocabulary, and then there's all the words that I use the rest of the week. I have my church behavior, and then there's my behavior all the rest of the week. God wants to be involved in all things. But as we saw before, there's a balance. He wants to work with us in all things. He's not micromanaging every aspect of your life, but he wants to be involved. Why? Why does God want to be in those areas? Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. This is... This is big for some people. And that is, why, why, why does God tell me not to, to date non-Christians? Why does God tell me to wait until I'm married? Why does God... Does He just want to ruin my fun? No. The Bible says that He does these things because He wants you to have a future and a hope. How many of you guys remember Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter? Do they still show that on television on a regular basis? Okay, if they don't show him, I'm sure they show somebody who is running around rescuing animals. You ever watch this? They'll be like this massive crocodile and he'll be like caught in a net and then here comes Steve Irwin, he's in there, he's like, oh, what this thing is, it's 20 feet long and it's got chomping teeth that it can bite my arm right off. I'm going to jump in and help him out. The crocodile doesn't want help. Or so it would seem. He wants help. He just doesn't recognize that who's there to help him. So the whole time he's trying. I have, I have watched videos of deer whose antlers got caught in a fence and the people are there trying to cut the antlers, and the deer is going crazy. Why? Because he doesn't understand that they are there to help. He doesn't believe that they have his best interest in mind. Some of us have that same mentality when it comes to God. He's up there giving us directions, and we're like, no way, no way. Why? Because we have not believed 
Maybe we've heard it, but we have not internalized the concept that what God has for me is what's best. If God is asking me to only date someone who is a Christian, he's doing that not because he's trying to hook me up with someone ugly, but because he knows this is what's best for me. If God has given his his instruction about something, then it is for my good. James chapter 1 verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. I think it's so interesting that this is in the same verse. It's, it's like two thoughts. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Great. Coming down from the Father of lights. Good. And then he adds, who does not change like shifting shadows. Why is that there? I believe that God put that together because he wanted us to know. Otherwise, we'd be like, well, yeah, God does. I mean, all the good stuff comes from God, but so does everything else. And that's that extreme we talked about in the beginning. That's that Calvin, well, I got cancer. Must be God wants me to have cancer. Ever since the beginning of time, God wanted me to have cancer. No. That is not what the Scripture tells us. It says that every good and perfect thing comes from him. Oh, and that he is not wishy-washy. He doesn't switch back and forth. What do shadows do? They start out in the morning on this side of the tree, and by evening they're on that side of the tree. And what did... I believe that scripture was there to say, look, he doesn't give you good things in the morning and bad things in the afternoon. Mondays are blessing days. Tuesdays are cursing days. That's not the God of the Bible. Revelations chapter 3, verse 19. Those whom I dearly love, I tell their faults and convict and convince and reprove and chasten. I discipline and instruct them. So be enthusiastic and in earnest and burning with zeal and repent. Change your mind and attitude. When God is leading us to make a change in our life, it is because He loves us and because He wants something better for us than what we will achieve if we do not follow His lead. Proverbs chapter 3, I'm going to read 11 through 18. Let's listen. It says, My son, do not despise the chastening or instruction of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. I say this to my kids all the time when I, when I, I correct them and I talk to them about their attitude. And I'll say, listen, I am not saying this for the umpteenth time just because I'm annoyed with you. I'm saying this because I truly desire you to develop an honoring attitude, an unselfish attitude. Whatever the issue is, I talk to them, I really want what's best for you. Look at verse 13. It says, just like a father, the son in whom he delights, 12, Then it gets into the rewards of listening to the correction. It says, happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her proceeds, that's speaking of wisdom, are better than the profits of silver. 
He wants something better than the profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. She, speaking again of wisdom and instruction, says, is more precious than rubies and all the things that you may desire cannot compare with her. Length of days. How many of you guys want length of days? Is in her right hand. In her left hand, riches and honor. Sound good? Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. This is where God is leading us to and towards. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Let's read that verse again. Let us not grow weary while doing good. What does that mean? When you know what is right to do, do it and keep doing it and keep doing it. Don't quit doing it because it seems like you've been doing it too long. Because in due season, at the right time, what is the due season? Have any of you guys ever planted a garden and you get all excited? Like, oh, I'm going to get strawberries and I'm going to get corn and I'm going to get... And you're out there looking and it's not there. You're like, hmm. Right now, raspberries are starting to come out. We do a lot of hiking. I have been watching those bushes all year. Like, oh, they're not ready yet. And then they pop out and they're like these green, sour, nasty little things. But now, now they're starting to be ready because it is due season. So, in due season, you, shall, you will reap. Reap means you get back what you put in. You, you benefit from what you did. If, if, we all know what if means. If means this is conditional. Means the reaping only comes if I do not lose heart. God knows our faults. He knows the areas that we need to grow, to tweak, in order to maximize our life. Are we willing to deal with what he brings to our attention? And here's something interesting. A lot of us kind of are afraid. Well, what if, if I let God, you know, make changes, it's... I'm a mess. But here's the thing about the way that God works. He knows you better than you know you. And so he deals with you about the things that are appropriate for to be dealt with now and not everything at once. Here's why this is important. God might be dealing with you about something in particular. We have this tendency to think, well, if I need to work on that, so does everyone else, and they need to work on it right now. 
So we get on our Facebook and we start telling everybody, you know what, you're eating too much and you're not eating the right food and you're not doing the things that I know that I'm supposed to be doing and so you shouldn't be doing them either. Because God's convicted me about this, so I'm going to convict all of you right now. But here's the thing. It may be good, it may be true, but that may not, God may be working on this, something else. He's not doing it all at once. If we have, are a mature Christian, we recognize that. And we listen to what God is speaking to us, and we don't shove it down everybody else's throat at that exact time thinking that if it's right timing for me, then it's right timing for you. I need to go on a diet, so do you. Not necessarily. And I'm not saying that what God is working on in your life isn't completely necessary. And that issue, it might be a big deal. But learn to be a mature Christian and to, what does the Bible say? It says, before you try to remove the speck from your neighbor's eye, remove the beam from your own. Whatever beam we're trying to pull out of our eye, we tend to see it in everybody else's. And we still got the beam sticking out of our face and we're running around trying to help everybody else. Because it's on our radar. God says, hey, I'm talking to you for you. God works on, and I'm going to hit just a few of the areas where we can expect God's leading to tweak and direct us. One is the area of our attitudes. Matthew 5.22 says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable of judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable of counsel, and whoever says, You fool! will be liable of the fires of hell. Now that seems pretty strong. Here's what we want to take away the understanding. God says, and, and Jesus came, and one of his revolutionary teachings was... Sin is a heart issue. You thought, you remember this part? You thought it was only adultery if you actually slept with someone. I say if you look at someone with lust in your heart, wishing you could, but unfortunately you don't have the opportunity, you've already committed that sin in your heart. And everyone, when he said that, was like, whoa. Because they thought, you know what? I can slide by in a technicality. And then he says this. He says, you heard it said, you shall not kill. But I say, if you're there wishing and hoping you could kill, but just not doing it, if you're angry enough that you, if it's a heart, sin is a heart issue. God will deal with our hearts. A lot of us still have this mentality that it's just about what I do. In fact, it's about what people see me do. I'm honest. Honest. Nobody's caught me in a lie this year. But we're as crooked as a river. We're constantly manipulating situations and whatever not. God says, 
Man looks on the outward appearance, but he looks at the heart. When we open ourselves up to the leading of the Holy Spirit, expect to hear him speak to you about your attitudes. Second, the friends and the people that you spend time with. Proverbs 13, 20 says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. What is God's goal for his leading? We saw that earlier. It is to bring us a hope and a future. If God's word is true, and we know that it is, and being the companion of fools causes you to be destroyed, then logically, if we are currently the companion of fools, what can we expect the Holy Spirit to lead us to do? Let's spend less time with that person or in that place where those people are headed towards destruction. If you want to, see, to know your future, look at your friends. What else does God lead us? He'll, he'll, he'll speak to us about what we watch. He'll speak to us about what we say. He'll speak to us about forgiving. He'll speak to you about your health. Get in shape. He'll speak to you about your work-life balance. But here's the thing. When he speaks to you about your work-life balance, that does not mean that he is simultaneously speaking to everyone you know about work-life balance this week. Right? Part of our spiritual maturity is recognizing this is what God is working on in me I need to take the beam out of my own eye before I go around trying to take the speck out of everyone else's. God will talk to us about getting our finances in order. The higher we want to go spiritually, the more we have to put our flesh down. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's read it again. I've been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? My old man was killed, died with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live it by faith in the Son of God. I'm living in the flesh, but I'm doing so by faith in the Son of God who loved me, who wants the best for me, and who gave himself for me. I'm going to, to read a quote from, from Oswald Chambers. He said this. He said, The golden rule for understanding spirituality is not intellect, but obedience. Now, here's what that means. We think who is spiritual. You ever wondered who's spiritual? Most people are tempted to think, well, if he's up on stage at church, he must be spiritual. You know, that's not the measure of being spiritual. Other people think, well, if he has a theology degree, oh, 
ooh, then that person is spiritual. No. Spiritual, being a spiritual person isn't actually about how much knowledge you have accumulated. I have a question for you. Whose spiritual uh, status would you rather have? Adam and Eve before the fall or Adam and Eve after? Before. Guess what? They knew less then than they did later. Ever think about that? Spiritually, they were more healthy. This is, I'm going to continue with the quote. Oswald Chambers said, the golden rule for understanding spirituality is not intellect. In other words, being spiritual isn't just about being smart. If a man wants scientific knowledge, intellectual curiosity is his guide. But if he wants insight into what Jesus Christ teaches, he can only get it by obedience. If things are dark to me, then I may be sure there is something I will not do. And then I like the way he sums it up at the end. He says, intellectual darkness comes through ignorance, but spiritual darkness comes because of something I do not intend to obey. What does that mean? That means intellectually, scientifically, if you are ignorant, it's because you were not, you, you lack some information. I am ignorant about fixing motors. Never been much of a fix-it person. Changed my brakes, changed my oil, never rebuilt an engine. Why am I ignorant? I don't have the information. If I was to gain that information, I'd no longer be ignorant. But spiritually, that's not how it works. See, Adam and Eve were spiritually alive, well, spiritually healthy. And then what did they do? They decided to disobey what they knew was right. And that damaged them spiritually. They became spiritually in darkness not because they suddenly forgot stuff that they knew. They became in spiritual darkness because they chose to disobey that which they knew was right. As a Christian, I am as spiritual as I am obedient to God's word and to God's leading. When I know what is right because the Bible tells me so, I am to follow the Bible. And when I choose not to obey, I enter into spiritual darkness. And I wish that I'd have thought to go ahead and bring it, but I've used this illustration before where I get a pile of, of sunglasses have you ever worn sunglasses inside and then it's hard to read? You know, I mean, they work great outside. Well, when you decide to disobey that which you know is right, it's as if you put on a pair of dark, cheap sunglasses. You can still see 
just not as well. You're in spiritual darkness to a degree. I mean, it was only one area that you disobeyed in over here. But it affects your spiritual vision, your ability to see clearly. And you know what? Now that you see so poorly, you're more likely to make another one of those stupid decisions and decide to do that which you know isn't right. And it's like you put on a second pair of glasses over the first pair. Now you have two of those cheap, dark plastic layers. Now you can see even less. And then you make another decision to disobey. And it's a third pair. And pretty soon, you have so much impeding your vision spiritually that you can't see your hand in front of your face. Have you ever seen someone perhaps in your Christian walk, and one day they're explaining to you a, a spiritual principle. They're like, you know what? You need to, this is how you need to treat your wife. The Bible says that you need to do that. All right, and you're like, okay, okay. And then like two years later, they're doing something stupid with somebody else and they're going to get a divorce. And you're like, what? You were explaining it to me. You knew what was right. How is it that you're blind now? And now they're acting like they're not doing anything wrong. And you're like, how could you have known the truth then and now you can't see the truth now? I'll tell you. It's because they made decisions. It started out as a decision to do something they knew was wrong that was small. And then it kept compounding and growing and growing and their spiritual darkness just kept getting darker and darker and darker as they continued to make the exception another exception. I know this is wrong, but I, I know this is wrong, but and they just keep moving over and over until they find themselves spiritually bankrupt. And we look at them and we're confused. We're like, well, they knew because we're thinking that spirituality is an intellectual accumulation of facts and knowledge. But it's not. You, listen to this, you can be more spiritual than a pastor, preacher, evangelist who went to five, six years of seminary, who read the Bible through and through, if you are obeying what you know to be right and he, she isn't. Do you follow? That's what it means to be truly spiritual. There's a lot that we can do and still get into heaven. We can do wrong, but that's not the point. That's not the point. Someone asked Paul, they said, well, if, if God is forgiving us, if there is grace, well, then why don't we just purposely sin so that grace would abound? Because his grace is so great. And Paul says, if you're thinking that, you don't get it. Why would we displease God who's done so much for us? Why would we do wrong when we know what is right? There are things that you will see as you learn to listen to the Holy Spirit that He says that you didn't notice before. He'll talk to you about spiritual things and less spiritual things. Why? Because they're a part of your life and they matter to Him. 
in God's perspective, there isn't spiritual and unspiritual. It's your life. And you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. Some of us will hear his leading about our spending. Some of us about how we speak to others. About our selfishness. One of the questions to ask yourself is, are there things God has nudged me about that I have ignored? God is dealing with you individually. What is the point of hearing from God? Of the point is to follow his leading. What is the goal? His goal is to give you a future and a hope. And you know what else he said? I'm going to close with this. John chapter 14 verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me and will do, will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. <clears throat> my vision for my life, for my family, for this church, is that we grow in listening to the Holy Spirit that we become spiritual in the sense that we do what God says and what we know to be right. And whatever that issue is that he's dealing with us on, we deal with it. We listen. We don't have to go chase everyone else down and make sure that they're dealing with the same things that we're dealing with at this exact moment. No. Follow his leading. There will be two results. One, God says, it will brighten our future. It'll give us a hope. It'll add length to our days, etc., etc. It'll bless you. The second result, God says, the works that he was doing will do, and even greater works. When we are following his lead, you realize as we learn to listen, when he says, don't talk back right now, just listen. Don't respond in anger, just stay quiet. No, you don't need to buy that right now. You're fine. As we begin to listen in those areas, then our ability to hear his voice grows and grows and we wonder well I don't I don't ever hear God telling me to go lay hands on my neighbor and see a miracle but the other things that he's saying have we been following those because how do we expect to, him to keep <clears throat> talking I think so many of us we're waiting to be told something impressive and he's like well you haven't done everything that was blessed. what does the Bible say he who is faithful with little will be faithful with much he who is unfaithful with little will be unfaithful with much. God's not going to violate his own principles and speak to us expecting us to be faithful in something big when he spoke to us and we didn't respond faithfully to what he already said. 
If you're here today and you know that you're forgiven, that you're right with God, your sins are forgiven, I want to ask you to raise your hand. If you're with us online and you know, I'm so glad. But if you're here or there or there or there or there and you don't know that you're right with God, the Bible says you can know. The Bible says know that you have salvation. So let's pray. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus died on the cross and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the sin that separates you from God. Forgiven. And on your way to heaven. If you want to know if you want that forgiveness, I'm going to ask you to just repeat this prayer with me. Let's all repeat it. And if you're saying this for the first time, God promises to be listening and to forgive your sin. Say, Dear God, I believe that you sent Jesus who lived a perfect life and then he died on the cross not for anything he had done wrong, but because of my sin. I believe that he rose from the dead. Victorious over death and the devil. I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.